one constant through all the years, Ray. Been beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Happy Saturday to you. Thanks for tuning in to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson, along with a very sick Zach Barletta. (laughs) Hopefully he'll make it through the entire show, but we are glad to have you with us. The website is btgprogram.com. Social media is at btgprogram. The studio line is 585-431-1202. And by the way, you can give us a call anytime and leave your message, leave your opinion. We'd be glad to hear your perspective. That's 585-431-1202. We have a lot to get to today, but let's... Let's start in baseball, Zach. This year's Hall of Fame inductees were announced this week, which, you know, it just brings the annual discussion of who should have gotten in and, and who shouldn't have. People people tend to look at numbers differently, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they have different perspectives on them. They hold different people to different standards. In fact, mm-hmm. different people's standards are different. You might have a different standard for who should be in the Hall than I do. This year, Tim Raines, Jeff Bagwell. Yvonne Rodriguez were all voted in. Trevor Hoffman, Vladimir Guerrero just missed, and, and they should be in. They, they will next year, I have yeah, to Yeah, I, I suspect. Although that next year's next year's class is pretty good. With, with You got Chipper Jones, uh, Jim Tomei. Jorge Posada did fall off because he didn't receive the necessary votes to stay on. Clemens, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds each gained about 10% more votes than they had. Which is significant. Maybe. Kurt Schilling, he dropped. He lost about 7 or 8%. And that, unfortunately, is completely based on what happened after he left the game, sadly, I I think. I agree. All those names I just mentioned, to me, the biggest disappointment is Kurt Schilling. Pudge Rodriguez, he's connected with PEDs via, I think he was named in the Mitchell Report. I know he was named by Jose Canseco in his book, but I, I don't think he's ever been proven but there's some suspicion. But I don't have a problem with get, getting him getting in. One of the greatest defensive catchers, let alone offense, of all time. Yeah. But I was surprised it was the first time out. Uh, I am surprised Hoffman Guerrero didn't get in. But like you say, I'm sure they will. I think Hall of Fame voters are ridiculous in how they opt to make certain mm-hmm. guys wait or punish some guys for this thing or that thing. Clements and Bonds is interesting as people speculate, try to interpret with that additional votes means but to deny Kurt Schilling is that's a crime this guy is one of the all-time greatest clutch pitchers of all time in fact if you had one game that you had to win in all of baseball boy he's in the argument for yeah. you. that's the guy you want to give the ball to for a four of all or five time. Year period yeah he was the guy yeah look the baseball writers of America are are such an assorted group in how they cast their votes there's those who won't vote for pitchers. There's those who won't vote for anybody who's the first time on the ballot. There was one of the writers didn't vote for anybody this year, mm-hmm. which you should lose your vote. Absolutely. And, and there are those who, you know, there's those who want to punish Schilling because of his political opinions or or because they determine that he's a racist. And 
I think that term, much like the term love, racist is a term that's not only overused, it's misunderstood, it's recklessly applied, and, and it's often exaggerated. Schilling is not likable. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of question about that. Even many of his own teammates didn't like him. But yeah. Luis Once, Gonzalez was asked once uh, if he liked Schilling. Luis Gonzalez, of course, you know, played with him on the Diamondbacks, hit that hit against the Yankees that won the World Series. But he asked it was once if he liked Schilling. And his answer was that for three hours on every fifth day, I love the guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. I've always contended that the PED users would would eventually get in. And I'm I'm not certain Clemens or Bonds' momentum gained this year is an indication whether they will or they won't. But it, it is indicative that some of the new voters, I think, that were part of the process this year, maybe they're less dogmatic than, than mm-hmm. the old school. There's certainly a, a softening on the PED stance, you would think. But you know how I feel, Zach. I don't think steroids make somebody a Hall of Famer. No. I think it may extend their career, but PEDs is not going to take an average ball player and turn them into one of the all-time greats. Right. So that being the case, I believe the Hall just needs to set a standard. I think the Hall... And I know some people argue that the hall is a museum, so just put them all in. Now, it is a museum, but it's more than that. This is this is a place for the best of the best, so that's an acknowledgement in addition to just being a, a museum. But take the subjectivity out of the vote and tell all those who cast votes that it's what takes place on the field that we're voting on. Schilling belongs in the Hall of Fame based on what he what he did in his career. Whether you like him or not shouldn't matter. I know that weighs in on voters, but it shouldn't matter. Clemens and Bonds were already Hall of Famers before their suspected steroid use. They belong in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Steroids did not make them a Hall of Famer. Pete Rose gambled as a manager. I don't care what he says about whether it was his team or not his team. I'm not trying to make these guys less criminals. What I'm saying is Pete Rose is one of the best hitters of all time. How the heck is he not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Before we go to break, let me just clarify that I'm not, of course, I'm not justifying PED use, and I'm not even saying turn a blind eye to it. What I am saying is that these guys were Hall of Famers. It's not about whether or not they were the greatest of, of all time, which if you're a Hall of Famer, why are you doing steroids? I, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess being good, being great is not enough. You need to be the greatest. I don't know. But these guys had Hall of Fame careers. Put them in the Hall of Fame, but put a notation on their plaque that their statistics are in question because they're associated, they're suspected of possible PED use, but put them in the Hall of Fame. And for crying out loud, even if Kurt Schilling is a racist, or even if Pete Rose still does gamble, or if somebody else cheats on their wife, they wouldn't be the only ones in the Hall of Fame who do those things. It's not about their personal lives. It's what happens on the field. That's my opinion. I, I think you agree. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're not going to let these guys in, then the guys who are already in that did these things should be taken out. I agree. We have a lot to do, as I said, on this morning's Beyond the Game program. Michael Johnstone of Global Baseball will join us. Chelsea Hayward from Roberts Wesleyan College will join us. We'll talk about Antonio Brown's locker room video. Zach will bring us... Probably a small list of shenanigans by the time we get through everything. That's all today on Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game is a listener-supported ministry. The program is not exclusively for people of faith, but it is our goal to use sports to introduce the message of Jesus Christ and give our listeners something to consider for themselves. 
your financial gifts and support help the program to reach new markets and bring that message of the gospel to thousands of listeners each week. If you feel so led, you can make a secure donation through our website, btgprogram.com. I'm Benson. He's a very sick Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. So nice to have you along. You found America's most listened to sports talk radio program (laughs) recorded in Rochester, New York, and also hosted by two guys whose last name both start with the letter B. (laughs) We welcome now into the program Chelsea Hayward, star athlete for Robert Wesleyan College's track and field teams. Chelsea, it's great to have you on. Thanks for coming on the program. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on a on a great performance recently at the Wagner Invite. You you turned in a couple of tremendous finishes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a good race. You finished second in both the 60-meter and 200-meter dash, running against what was mostly D1 competitors. Is it any more significant to you to run so well against larger schools as you did, knowing that you're representing a, a D2 school like Roberts Wesleyan so well? Um, yes, it definitely meant more to me representing Roberts on like a higher level of a meet. Getting to race against great athletes is just more motivating to me because it just puts more pressure on and makes me be more competitive, want to do better. And I do want to represent Roberts well, of course. So um, it is intimidating to watch some of the bigger name schools like Warbuck and stuff, but it just reminds me that I'm here too and I can try to compare myself to them and do the best I can. 
Now, I understand you're from Connecticut, and at the Wagner Invite, you finished second, as we said, in those two events, in a, in a close bunch, right between two girls who happened to be from UConn. Was there any extra motivation, and did it make you, you know, your strong finish any more special to you that those girls were from UConn? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a little bit more competitive, too, when it's someone that you that's from your home state and that you see all around all the time. And we always, you know, it's always in our local newspaper, UConn, and they're a big school around us. So it was cool to be able to have my name next to theirs and their team. So I definitely wanted to prove that I could run against them and run well. Uh, one of them did beat me, so I was a little disappointed, but she pushed me to run a better time. So I was happy to have a chance to run against them. We're so. talking with Chelsea Hayward of Roberts Wesleyan College Track and Field. You were just named the ECC Indoor Track and Field Athlete of the Week. I believe that's the second time this year. Congratulations on that as well. Thank you're, you. <laughs> you're a nursing student, which certainly requires a great deal of time and study. How challenging is it, and how, how challenging has it been for you to balance success both academically and athletically? Um, it has been challenging at times. There's a lot of pressure in our nursing program to you know, do well and have good test grades and everything, um, just like many other programs. So uh, in that aspect, I have to really focus on studying as much as I do with running and everything. But I'm lucky that I do go to Roberts and my coach and my teammates are all understanding and they're all very supportive. And I feel like we all focus equally on school, if not more. And it's just easier to be in that environment and not feel the pressure to always focus on one or the other completely and I really do enjoy both so I would imagine that for the student athlete maintaining that healthy balance between academics athletics and you know yet keeping a consistent spiritual walk with God that's got to be difficult has there been someone who's been especially encouraging to you along the way oh yeah there's a lot of people who've helped me along the way um my friends, my teammates, uh, of course, they keep me happy, laughing, they distract me from mm. <laughs> school and the stress sometimes. Uh, but really, my parents are the ones that I feel like when I'm overwhelmed, I can always just call them easily and talk about everything. And they kind of just bring me back and tell me what's important in life and that it's okay if I don't do good on this one thing or one test or one meet. Um, there's more in life than just track and school. So That's great. Once again, we're talking with Chelsea Hayward, Roberts Wesleyan College track and field. How important a role does your faith play in your life there on campus? Um, it's very important because I feel like it is a way for me to just personally wind down. I can pray when I'm alone, um, get clarity. I feel like I, of course, don't probably spend as much time on my faith as I would like to, of course, just because I am busy. But I do appreciate the times when I get to just sit down and reflect on things and thank God for everything he's done for me. It has been a great experience to be surround myself with other people who have the same beliefs I do. So, Being away from home and, you know, all the support and familiarity that is found there, you mentioned you're, you're able to call your parents and, and how they're able to, to just bring you back to a balanced place. How often do you think you get to a point where, where you have to, have to call. I have a daughter in college, and she doesn't call, from mm -hmm. my perspective, nearly enough. I wanted to call every day. Uh, how often do you have to call your folks at home? Uh, I'm, my parents probably feel the same way as you. I probably, I definitely don't call every day. I, I feel like just once a week, maybe even, um, just when I 
or sometimes more if I'm feeling more stressed, I will just call my mom when she's at work or something, and she'll always take it even if she's busy because she does like to hear from me, and I, of course, like to hear from them. But I, I would like to talk to them more, but I just definitely sometimes don't have get as much time as I want to. When I do, it's always they always make me feel a lot better. That's great. You know, I asked you that because I was hoping you would say I call them every day and then my daughter would hear it and she would call me every day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know what? some people who do that. Chelsea, can you share with us that moment in your life where your faith became real to you and you began trusting God more completely? Yeah, uh, I feel like I've always had some love relationship with God growing up because I come from a background in my family has always raised me growing up in church. So I've always understood, known God, and I feel like I could trust him. And I feel like it just grows more as I'm getting older. Like I've always sometimes struggled with, you know, trusting, of course. Uh, sure, haven't we all? When I, yeah, like in high school and stuff. I mean, it's hard when no one is really there for your friends in high school who maybe believe the same things as you. So being at Roberts has helped me you know, have other people who, you know, they understand what I, how, what I, what my religion is and how I feel about God. So it's easier to talk with other people who understand it. That's Just cool. it grows, has, it's grown more since I've probably been at Roberts. Oh, praise the Lord. Listen, before we let you go, is there anything uh, we can pray for you about? Well, um, just for what's going on in my life right now, it'd be nursing. Uh, just to make sure that I can keep going on and have confidence when I'm, about to learn and everything. Uh, also, to keep me healthy for track <laughs> would be great. Absolutely. Chelsea, I want to thank you for joining us. I wish you all the best uh, the season ahead and, and continued success. Thank you. That's Chelsea Hayward joining us here on the Beyond the Game program. Chelsea is one of the many terrific student athletes on the campus of Roberts Wesleyan College, which I guess would make this an ideal time for the Red Hawks Report, sponsored by Roberts Wesleyan College. Last Saturday at the RIT Invite, both the women's and men's track teams turned in strong performances. Junior Chelsea Hayward, who we just spoke with, won at both the 60-meter and the 200-meter with sophomore Kathleen Amstad finishing right behind her in both of those events. In fact, in the 200-meter, the Red Hawks swept the first five positions. Sophomore Christina Button took first in the 400-meter dash, Button also teaming with Hayward, Amstad, and senior Brianna Calderon to win the 4x400 relay. Freshman Michaela Beerley took first place in the 800-meter race. For the men, freshman Ashton Colaire was the lone winner for the Red Hawks, taking first place in the 60 meters, and he finished second in the 200 meters. New York Institute of Technology was in town last Saturday to take on the Red Hawks basketball teams. The Red Hawks men lost 85-75 despite 18 points from sophomore Quinn Carey and 17 from junior Malik Dare. Fellow junior Manny Joseph had a double-double, 14 points and 11 rebounds. The women, though, were victorious, 84-58 behind a 24-point run and 17 points from freshman guard Taya Andrews. On Wednesday, both teams were tripped up on the road, however, at Damon College, the women falling 88-80 despite getting 23 points from Andrews. Two Red Hawks notching double-doubles, Emily Miller with 17 points and 13 rebounds, CeCe James with 13 points and 10 assists. Junior Lucy Cobley added 15 points in the loss. The Red Hawks men dropped a close one, 88-85. Joseph with 18 points, freshman Isaiah Lewis scoring 15, and Dare notching 13. 
The men are in action later today at 1 p.m., and both teams will be home next Wednesday the 25th, hosting St. Thomas Aquinas College. The women tip off at 6 p.m., the men at 8 p.m. at the Voller Athletic Center. Head on out and support Roberts Wesleyan basketball. There you have it, the Red Hawks report for this week, January 21st, 2017. The Red Hawks report is, of course, presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. And remember, you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Red Hawks. This has been the Red Hawks report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances and 96 student athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show. Recording in the BTG Studios in Rochester, New York. Here's your host, Rick Benson. Bring it. Welcome back into Beyond the Game, recording in our own BTG studio in Rochester, New York, btgprogram.com or at BTG program, talking sports from a faith-based point of view, giving you some things that I know you won't hear on any other sports talk show. The program is available on podcast and is heard worldwide. Visit our website, btgprogram.com, and subscribe so that you get the show each and every week, a show which is now heard in over 40 different countries, something we're kind of proud of. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I I think so. To all of you who do listen and support the program, we do appreciate you. I've seen a couple articles this week written by, well, judging simply by the picture attached to the writer, would be a younger millennial (laughs) hipster type person. Now, in full disclosure, I have no idea, really. I am simply making what is probably an unfair judgment based on a photograph. But it's all I have, and I'm just having a little fun with it. So uh, besides, most of those photos, you ever notice that when they put a photo up, it's like 10 or 15 years old? They, it's Oh, it's yeah, ancient. their hair wasn't gray yet or anything. Yeah. They hadn't gained weight. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see all the signs of aging that they have on them now. <laughs> I've seen articles about the Antonio Brown live video that he shared over Facebook after the Steelers' victory over the Chiefs from right from the Steelers' locker room. And a no- number of these articles – seemed to celebrate his bravery, his creativity, his youthful passion for fun. And some of them were even sympathizing with him, making him out as a victim against the mean curmudgeon attitudes of the older fun police crowd, which I guess we're talking about people like me who called him out on the foolish stunt. And they say, after all, it was just, you know, silly and harmless. First Corinthians thirteen eleven. It says this. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul is writing that passage in regards to the usage of certain spiritual gifts. But the lesson's still applicable. It's still applicable today. There are things which we do which would be appropriate for a certain time or a particular time in our life that is no longer appropriate. And Taking a live video in a locker room 
to me is childish. It's foolish. It's unprofessional. Mm-hmm. Antonio Brown should know better. I mean, grow up, man. And look, I'm not, I'm not here to crucify the guy. I don't think, you know, this was such a, uh, it's not such a huge travesty. Uh, he's a kid in many ways. I mean, I think this stunt sort of proves it. He got caught up in the moment. He said that. Many other people have said that. Got caught up in the moment. He was having some fun. In no way do I think his intention was malicious. It just wasn't well thought out. Someone told me yesterday that it was no different than reporters being in the locker room with their video cameras. And I disagree. It's very different. You know, reporters are trained. They have uh, they have accountability checks in place. Naked bottoms are not showing up on the evening newscast because of a video person's camera. And if some news guy was in the locker room and streamed a live video with some player's butt in it, that guy would probably be fired. Right. He, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, I don't know who the player is in the background, but in that video, there is a player. I don't even know if the guy cares. He probably, Maybe he doesn't. But Antonio Brown is sending out live video and there's some guy's naked bottom in the background, and they're laughing about it. That's that's immaturity. The video caught Coach Mike Tomlin speaking about the Patriots, saying some things. Uh, you know, a child might find that humorous. An immature person might find it funny that it was said and kind of laugh at the fact that it's now public. But when you put away childish things, you learn there are things you just you don't always say it. Just because it's on your mind, you don't always say it. And sometimes there are times and there are places for things that may not be wrong to say, but you don't say them in public. They're not meant for the ears of everyone. And I don't think what Tomlin said was all that damaging. In fact, I doubt the Patriots even cared that much, but I suspect Tomlin's a little embarrassed by it. I I figure the Steelers organization is a little embarrassed by it. Don't be videotaping everything and every one that you find humorous and then sharing it publicly without that person's knowledge, its that's not laughing with people. That's laughing directly at them, and, and, and you, it's rude. If you want to film something in a locker room, all right, film it. Don't stream it live because you have no idea in a locker room with that many people in it what's going to be said and what's going to happen. You cannot stream that live. Can you imagine if this was Odell Beckham Jr.? You know, I wonder if those reporters uh, who found Brown's actions cute or nothing more than youthful hijinks, if they would have had the same opinion had it been Beckham. I I suspect they'd have more outrage. Oh, there would be a front page hit piece the next day. Yeah. One reporter asked, what damage did it cause? You know, that it violated the NFL's social media policy? Well, yeah. 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 Broke a rule. You know, there are dozens of other players. There are other people who may not want a starring role in such videos who are at least somewhat protected by an employer's policies that are in place. There's a reason those rules exist. And again, I'm not vilifying Brown, but I had mentioned Beckham, and all he did was go to Miami on his day off. Mm -hmm. You know, wise or not, that's all he did. He didn't break any rules, not one. And again, I, I think it was a foolish thing, but Look, I'm not, I don't think Brown needs to embarrass that publicly. I don't think he needs to be punished or humiliated or anything like that. It was just a childish thing to do, and he should at least be reprimanded. And I have no doubt in my mind that the Steelers have already handled the situation and have handled it well. He's a great athlete, Antonio Brown. I'm sure he's a good kid. It was simply... Um, Simply childish mistake. It's something I hope he and others learn from, and at some point I, I grow up a little. 
the fact that there had to be a press conference to address it, I think, was a little yeah. bit. I, I think that was a little unnecessary. You know, as I said, he got caught up in a moment. He did what a lot of young people do. Shared, you know, he shared that moment with the world through mm-hmm. social media. And just as a as a thought, not everything needs to be shared on social media. This is Antonio Brown, so people are interested. But the fact of the matter is, do you think that people care about every moment of your life? You know, Zach, what am I worried if you go an entire afternoon without sharing some moment from your life via Facebook video? I'll think you died or something, although you're fighting a cold. Maybe, you know, you are struggling there. As a culture, we're still we're still learning about social media. We're still and and technology changes so fast. We're learning. uh, This is not something that existed even, what, 10, 15 years ago. Right. And I don't know when Facebook Live first started, but this is something fairly new. Mm-hmm. It changes so fast, it's difficult to know, to keep up with what is acceptable behavior, what is what would be decent and social, social decorum. But the reality is this. You shouldn't always need a rule to know that it's right or wrong. Sometimes you should just know, hey, man, this is probably not a good thing to do. You know, the the NFL in this case does have a rule, as you mentioned, but maturity is learning those things, Mm -hmm. things to say, what not to say, things to do, what not to do without having to be told about it. God gave us rules. He gave us a law. These rules aren't to keep us from having fun. These rules aren't to show that who's in charge, that God's in charge. They're there to protect us. The laws protect us by showing us what's wrong. We shouldn't have to be told what is wrong, but sometimes we do. Many people lie. We all know that. Many mm-hmm. people lust in, 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 in their hearts. Some of these folks don't know that that's wrong. So the Bible tells us it's wrong. The Bible is very clear about that being wrong. So even if you didn't know, well, now you do. Mm-hmm. Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The law makes it clear. It tells us what is right and what is wrong so that we may know those things. But the law is not just for Christians. It's not just for people who believe the Bible. It's for everyone. And the Bible explains in Romans chapter 2 that the law was not only for the Jews to whom it was given, but it is applied to all people. This is Romans chapter 2, verse 15. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience being bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. The law is written in our on our hearts. You have a conscience that sometimes it defends you that what you're doing is okay, and sometimes it convicts you that, man, this is probably not the right thing. I have a little bit of guilt about this thing. And the danger comes when we we continue ignoring that conscience. It becomes seared, and people are no longer they're no longer aware of their own sins. They've somewhat become immune to it. First Timothy chapter four speaks of this, but the law remains nonetheless. It's there so people know their sin. It's there so people know their sin and understand they need to repent and make peace with God. I said earlier that the law protects us. It protects us because our sin is there. Our sin is very real. And the law reveals our guilt of that sin. The price of sin is eternal damnation. We're guilty. 
Sinners have no place in heaven with an innocent and, and holy God. So God gives us a conscience, and he gave us a law that we might seek forgiveness and justification. But most people, probably every person, has this battle within themselves. Our pride fights with the fact that we can't earn our own redemption from the cost of our sins. People think they're good enough. I'm good enough to get to heaven, but you're not. We're destined for hell, but pride keeps telling us, just keep working harder, do more, try harder. And that's the exact lie the devil wants us to believe. But peace with God is found only through Jesus Christ. John fourteen six, Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Eternal life in heaven can't be earned. It can't be found in anything or anyone apart from Jesus. But here's the good news. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus gave his life on the cross. He died to pay for those sins of, of your sins, my sins. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose again from the grave, defeating the power of death and hell. You need to admit to God that you're a sinner. You need to admit to yourself that you're a sinner, but then you need to admit to God. You need to repent of those sins, and you need to ask him to forgive you and to save you. I've I've shared this verse a bunch of times, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, verse 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. I wonder if God could be speaking to your heart today. What is your conscience telling you? What is it revealing to you? Are you able to admit that you are a sinner, that you are in need of forgiveness? Talk with God. Place your faith and trust that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. I'm Rick Benson. I want to thank you for listening. As with anything you hear in our program, you can reach out to us through our website, our studio line, btgprogram.com is where you can find us. If there's anything we can do to help you learn more about being a Christian, or even if you just want someone to pray for you, we'd be honored to be there to help. And if God has spoken to you today, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to pray for you. Send us a note. Allow us to pray for you. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. 
and let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. Thanks for listening. This is the Beyond the Game program, recording in the BTG studio in Rochester, New York, btgprogram.com or at BTG program. I'm pleased to be able to welcome back to the program Michael Johnstone. He is the European Director for a ministry called Global Baseball. Michael, welcome back to the show. So glad we could connect today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Before we talk a little bit about your ministry, let's talk about some of the sports going on in your area of the country. You make your home in Southern California. The San Diego Chargers have announced plans to move to L.A. and join the Rams. What's your sense of that among the people that you talk to in that area? Are folks excited about the Chargers move? Well, uh, full disclosure, before I answer this question, uh, I really don't follow American football, but uh, it's certainly hard to not form some sort of opinion. The fact that you really can't get away from the, the conversation about football here in Southern California. And, uh, you know, the NFL's desire to move a team to LA, uh, it's, it's something that's intrigued me, especially after so many attempts. And Southern California is a hard market, uh, for mediocrity. And so, um, you know, we have so many op- options for spending our entertainment dollar, uh, that most casual fans have pretty short attention spans. You know, there are a ton of Charger fans here in Orange County, but, it's definitely not their base. So there's some excitement, but, you know, given the recent experience with the Rams, who did have a pretty solid base here, uh, at least before they moved originally, you know, winning and winning early is important. Yeah, really, really winning is the key. Southern Californians don't really seem to resonate with that lovable loser narrative. So something like, you know, being able to suffer uh, like Cubs fans, for example, that, that doesn't happen with us Southern California guys. So the excitement around the Chargers move, um, I'm not sure if that's the right descriptor. Uh, I think, I think really people don't really care that much other than those, uh, those Charger fans who feel slighted. And that's um, the sense that we got just reading it in the, in the news back here in the East. Now, growing up north of New York City, I, I'm familiar with the New York teams and there's always that little brother, you know, the Mets are the little brother to the Yankees and, we speculated on last week's show that the Chargers may suffer a bit from little brother syndrome sharing the city with the Rams. Do you think that's accurate, or, or might L.A. actually become a Chargers town? Well, I think I think that whole conversation you guys had last week kind of assumed that Rams had some sort of claim to the big brother title. Um, I think the real issue is that the local NFL presence has been absent for so long uh, that L.A. has become kind of a generic NFL city. Uh, so fans have adopted new teams for whatever reason, whether it's where their family's from because they've been winning or whatever. So I think I think it's going to be hard for the NFL fans to justify dropping their own allegiances to whatever team you know they've been supporting for so long. I think really the the big brother is 
every other team in, in the NFL that the local fans have adopted. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Now, maybe switching gears a little bit, talking about something you are a little more passionate about. I know you get to a number of Anaheim Ducks games. We're big hockey fans here on Beyond the Game, and the Ducks look legit to us. How about to you as a fan? How confident are you in them being able to make a deep Stanley Cup run? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely benefiting from my dad deciding to get season tickets this year. Uh, it's, it's great to be able to get out to so many games. You know, I think the Ducks for a number of years have had all the makings of, of a Stanley Cup contender. I think they've, they've shown their ability to uh, to go deep, uh, having a really great record. And I think they've been really underrated because of their slow start last year specifically, but then also um, the fact that most hockey fans are probably in bed by the time they play. So they kind of end up becoming a surprise team every year. Um, but they're really not that big of a surprise. I know this year they've been, they've been pretty solid, uh, just kind of unlucky in, in overtime games. Yeah. Uh, their overtime record is, is horrendous, but there haven't really been any blowouts, um, in terms of, I think they've only really had two, maybe three games where they, where they've been completely wiped out. And I think most of those were at the end of back to back nights. Um, you know, the Ducks have had some really good leadership, um, at the, at the GM level uh, in the last couple of years. And there have been some great decisions that almost always make the team better. So I think, I think that's the thing with the Ducks is that you really can't count them out and they should be able to make a deep run. One last question on some of the teams out there in your area. This one to your love of baseball, the angels are rumored to be interested in free agent, Matt Wieters. Which direction do you think this team is headed? And what I mean is, do you think they're a free agent piece like Weeders away from returning to competitive relevancy? Or would you prefer to see them pursue a hall of prospects like the White Sox have done this offseason? Yeah, um, the Weeders thing is kind of a surprise to me. The Angels have had a string of solid catching prospects. And, that's, and so, that's what I thought, I mean, too. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Weeders pickup would be great on paper for offense. Um, defensively, they got some really good good guys in the depth chart, but... Um, I mean, the, the the problem, as I as a fan see it, uh, is that uh, the farm system is just absolutely depleted. We've given up a lot in recent years for big names, and there hasn't really been as much return on those big names. Uh, so I'm not convinced that a that the Angels are necessarily a free agent away. I, I don't know what that means. I think they become enamored with with a guy's past and a guy's history, and they totally overpay for him. So despite all that, I think the Angels do have all the pieces to be a great team. I mean, they, they have the best outfield in baseball. They have a really solid defensive infield, especially up the middle. Um, they just really are in need of the consistent pitching and they've really been hurt by, by some injuries lately. And, um, but really I think the need for change is probably at the top with OSHA. He's a great manager, but there just seems to be something missing. I mean, there's, there's, I don't know. It, it just seems like, you know, they've brought in new players left and right, and it hasn't changed. And sometimes you just need to shake up at the top. Yeah. We're talking with Michael Johnstone of Global Baseball and Missionary to Kosovo. You can follow him on Twitter at GBaseballEurope. You were at the American Baseball Coaches Conference a couple of weeks ago, and I see you spent some time with a number of friends of mine from Score International. Was being part of that conference and networking with guys like John Zeller and others to was that a benefit to your baseball ministry in Kosovo? And most definitely, uh, the leadership of ABCA does a phenomenal job in setting up the uh, the yearly conference. I mean, it really, it's, it's baseball heaven. So if you're involved in any level of baseball, it's a place to be. I mean, the the level of instruction is is about as high as you're going to get. I mean, you have 
you know, coaches from D1 schools, the national championship coach always uh, kicks off the, the, the conference. So, you know, you see coaches get to analyze their own approach and, you know, the, the sense that there's this, uh, this really cooperative atmosphere among guys who are essentially ways to find, or they're looking ways, looking for ways to, uh, to beat each other and, um, but they're doing it together. So, yeah, the, uh, the time networking and reconnecting with old friends and making new friends is, is definitely a huge encouragement for the ministry, especially with all the changes we've had in the, the past year and the, the many successes. Um, you know, I think the challenge that I face right now with the ministry in Kosovo is, is the amount of opportunities and projects versus the amount of workers and partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting more people involved really starts with the awareness that this ministry exists and that, uh, that convention is definitely, definitely the place to, to network with folks. Not only are you the European director for global baseball, but you also serve Kosovo Baseball Initiative as its director as well. Can you take a few moments and give our listeners an update from the last time you've been on the show? You mentioned some changes in the last year. Uh, what have you been up to? Well, uh, since we last spoke, um, you know, I, I think originally we we went over with this vision of a you know a more long term plan where we'd be there in Kosovo. Uh, helping to establish a couple of clubs. I think uh, initially we had a, a goal for, for two clubs in, in our focus cities, and then hopefully within four to five years, we'd be able to establish a federation and get some international competition. But but really, we uh, we saw God's provision in a lot of ways, um, specifically that in the last year, uh, there are now six independent clubs that have been formed in the, in the country. And uh, on the 4th of July, we signed paperwork to establish the Kosovo Baseball and Softball Federation, which is the youngest and newest federation in the world. Um, we had a, uh, a university coach training program in 2016, and, and we've just uh, started to really develop a lot of, a lot of really um, great strategic relationships to, to find ways to get involved uh, in Kosovo. More teams means more opportunities for you. And your ministry teaches and promotes baseball in the country of Kosovo. It's a means to building relationships and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's really what it's all about. But for those who may not be familiar, how do you go about doing that on a baseball field? You teach baseball, but how does that lead to an opportunity to share Christ? Well, I think uh, really it, it, it follows the pattern that we see uh, effective ministries use in a lot of ways, and it's really about relationships and positive influence. You know, I, I think it starts with with a love for for the folks that we're working with, and uh, a focus on my own purpose, and and you know, meaning that you know, there's a focus on on me abiding in, in God's word and uh, pointing to people to Jesus whenever whenever I can, and just helping them grow in their relationship if there is one. Yeah, I think uh, specifically we try to share the gospel when appropriate uh, during outreach and training events. And in a majority Muslim country, it's, it's a little bit more difficult in terms of uh, resp- respecting the relationships that we have to just kind of do, uh, you know, big, massive you know, altar calls and things like this, uh, simply because we probably wouldn't be allowed to do much uh, very long if we if we did it that way. Sure. Um, you know, our ability to, to really point people to Jesus and share the gospel message comes out of the, the relationships. More often than not, we're pulled aside during our training sessions by by folks who who obviously the spirit's working in, you know, and guys who are guys and gals who who are curious as to why we're over there, um, curious as to why uh, the way we coach is a little bit different than the way um, their coaches coach them, and we try to just allow our our love um, that comes from Christ to be to just flow through us, and then and then finally. Um, 
our hope is that we see more disciples made and more churches planted in Kosovo. And so if we can work to help develop leaders within the country, um, within the baseball uh, community that will one day be able to make disciples themselves in a more contextually impactful way, then I think, you know, we're going to see um, see more opportunities for the Lord to work. You've shared this once before on our program, but, you know, it's always exciting to hear about how someone first came to the Lord. Would you share with our, with us how you first became a believer in Jesus Christ and dedicated your life to him? Yeah, yeah, I, I grew up in the church. Um, my dad was a was a pastor and a missionary uh, in Venezuela. I was born on the mission field, as I was always around uh, the church and and always around the gospel and always around uh, outreach. And uh, you know, I think you, when you're around it so much, I think you you kind of take it for granted. You take you take faith and and what what the gospel is for granted. But really, my my testimony is one, uh, and I think this is what I've mentioned before, but one of generational impact. Really, the I think the reason that I'm a believer, you know, obviously aside from from the Lord's uh, direction and, and and grace, is that my grandparents uh, were really strong believers. Uh, even even my great grandparents were were dedicated to to the gospel and to the study of the word. And I think that generational impact is something that that we we lose sight of. Um, we get so focused on the the situational and experiential uh, role of the gospel in our faith that that we forget that you know. There's a reason why Scripture takes the time to to go through the genealogies and and to, to talk about how the importance of people's decisions and how that works generationally. So, you know, I I, I think I accepted my faith as my own in high school. About senior year, uh, I started to really see the the impact that uh, that the, the faith of generations has had on my life and and how uh, God had set me aside for for some sort of ministry uh, to Him. Obviously, that's is developing and, and is uh, being revealed as I get older. But, you know, there wasn't any uh, sort of big experience other than realizing that God had been working uh, on my behalf even uh, generations before I was born. No, you make a great point. You know, the Bible does point out the genealogies. There's a reason for it. And that generational Im- impact that fathers have on sons, mothers have on daughters, parents have on their children— uh, is just so powerful. Now you are a mission, uh, a missionary. Missionaries need support. Your ministry focus is overseas and it takes funds to be able to get there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And of course, our listeners can pray for you, but what, what, what do they need to do in order to support you financially? Is there a website they can go to? How do they, how do they do that? Yeah. Well, we definitely are in need of, of financial support. Obviously, the, um, the funds that it takes to, to be in full time ministry. Is significant. It's something that's uh, that I've really had to come to have had to come to terms with lately, especially the the biblical mandate of of being able to see myself uh, in the Levitical tradition of, of needing to to look towards God's people as uh, uh, the avenue to which God's going to provide. One very specific way that that people can give is you know we're looking for for partners, ministry partners to to come alongside us in, in amounts of anywhere from. Fifty to seventy-five to you know one hundred fifty dollars a month uh, that would really help make it possible for for these partnerships to go over to Kosovo and uh, spread the gospel with this majority Muslim country and um, they can they can do that. Uh, there's a giving page at uh, our organization's website is globalbaseball.org and there is a uh, a giving page off to the right on the top column where they can identify my page uh, by pulling down my name from the uh, from the little menu. And then uh, they can find my name, Michael Johnstone, 
uh, as the the intended recipient of any gift. Um, we definitely do appreciate uh, larger gifts, you know, especially as we're looking towards launching uh, kind of an ambitious slate of projects this year, where where we're looking at getting these uh, these six clubs supported by different groups. So it's it's really important to be able to get over there, you know, pay to be able to pay a salary to one of our local workers who's doing doing really the majority of the work uh, on the ground in terms of of getting the the club set up and things like that. So. Um, you know, we're looking to, to raise about twenty-five to $30,000. That'll be the total operating budget in terms of getting our trips over there, uh, getting equipment to the kids that are playing and getting training modules over to the various clubs that are that are working to train up coaches and develop leadership. You've you mentioned some areas of prayer. What, what, are, what about specific for you and your family? Is there anything we can pray for you about? Well, I think a, a prayer of thanksgiving uh, is something that you guys could pray with me and all your listeners could join me in, in praising God for. I think uh, one thing I kind of glossed over and didn't really mention was was the challenges we faced as a family in Kosovo. You know, living in a cross-cultural situation is that, you know, you're often without your support, you know, structure that you're used to. And, and we really, we really underestimated the effect that that was going to have on our family. And um, we started to see some health issues come, come forward with our kids and, and things that were, were really a challenge. And, 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 you know, quite honestly, our marriage uh, was was really facing some strain. You know, it, it was just there was just so many things that were that were going on that that the Lord stepped in, um, provided us some wisdom in terms of of uh, support from our church and and wisdom that uh, we needed to come back, and uh, that the ministry had grown. So despite all those challenges that we were facing. God continued to work and God continued to do some mighty things beyond our expectations um, and really freed us up to to leave the country um, so that we could come back to the United States and, and start to develop, a, you know, a better network of people that are working over in Kosovo. So I just want to praise God because of, of how he very lovingly provided um, grace for us as his workers and, and opportunities for us to grow closer to him. And now that we're in Southern California, we're closer to family and you know, our kids are thriving where they were uh, where they were starting to um, develop some some real challenges, uh, both health wise and, and socially and, and um, kind of emotionally. So, yeah. So I guess that's the, you know, aside from, you know, the prayers for ministry opportunities and, and for for ministry provision, uh, really just want to give praise to to our God for for what he does and how he loves and provides for us. Michael, thanks so much for joining us, and thank you for your ministry there in Kosovo, sharing the gospel. Using baseball to share the gospel with what you've said a number of times in this interview is a mostly Muslim country. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to share. And, um, you know, obviously we're always looking for people to give financially, but we're also looking for people who are willing to to join join us on the ground um, or who are interested in hearing God's call. And, and if God is calling people to, to go, then we'd love to to be able to go along with them and, and uh, provide opportunities to, to build those relationships in Kosovo. That's Michael Johnstone joining us here on the Beyond the Game program. He is the European director for a ministry called Global Baseball. He's also a missionary to Kosovo. You can follow him on Twitter at GBaseballEurope. That's at GBaseballEurope. You can also visit them online, globalbaseball.org. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Benson and Barletta on the Beyond the Game program. I found it hard to believe someone like you can be. Is here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. 
Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back once again. Thanks for being with us here on Beyond the Game. We're uh, we're up against the clock, so we're going to rush through some of Zach's shenanigan statements as much as we can. So take it away, Zach. All right. Carmelo Anthony recently said that if the Knicks feel his time in New York is done, quote, that is a conversation we should have. So truth or shenanigans, Melo gets traded. I agree. I think I think he will get traded. Uh, you know, at some point, you think he has to realize that the Knicks' needs are greater than just putting a piece or two around him. His best chance to win a championship at this point is to be one of those pieces centered around somebody else. Uh, maybe it's with LeBron in Cleveland. I don't know. But it's not New York. And I, as much as I wanted it to be, it's not. When that gets through to him, I, I think he approves the trade and says, you know, it's time to go elsewhere. Yeah, I think if you're the Knicks, you have to look at your roster at this point and say, can we win – a championship with this roster and it's pretty clear at this point in the season you can't so it's time to say what can we move to bring in new assets and i think that's carmelo anthony so i think he gets traded i think we got time for another one zach so give us another statement if the season ended now the toronto maple leafs would be in the stanley cup playoffs so truth or shenanigans the leafs will make the playoffs what do you think about that i think they will um there's not any one category where they're way where they're really standouts where you say well that's going to come back down to the pack they're they're just doing what they're doing and plugging along. And if they patch up their bottom pair defense, figure out the goaltending situation, I think they can do it. This is the year. I'm going to say shenanigans. There are a number of teams bunched up there at that eight spot of the playoffs, Toronto being one of them. And I'm not sure how the tiebreaker works, but right now as we record this on Thursday, there are three teams tied with 50 points. That would be the 7, 8, and 9 slot. So only two of those teams are going to go in. I like Tampa Bay. I think they're really good. I like Florida. I think they're good. I think both of those teams end up passing Toronto. I'm shocked that they're behind them now. I actually think even Carolina and Philadelphia are better teams than Toronto. Toronto's good. They're improving. But I think there are four teams currently behind them that have great potential to pass them, and I think they will. So I'm going to say no, that they won't make the playoffs. I think those stronger teams will end up getting in. I think each of those teams that you mentioned have a particular weakness that needs to be addressed, so I think the trade deadline is going to be big in deciding that race. Yeah, you might be right, but the two Florida teams, the the Panthers and the Lightning, those are strong teams. Absolutely. they They were good playoff teams last year. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Game. For Zach Barletta, let's all hope that he pray for him. We need him to feel better. Yes, please. I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be great this week, everybody. 